everyone, and welcome to episode number 36 of The Fourth Wall. I'm, of course, your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals, ranging from actors, writers, directors, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find the rest of our shows, such as Be Real, The Playlist Podcast, and so much more. Whatever your fix is, we definitely have you covered over there. It's not very often I can say this, but today's guest is an Academy Award winner. Yes, I am very uh, honored to say that I had the privilege of chatting with Academy Award winner Alicia Vikander for David Lowry's The Green Knight. Before even turning 30, Alicia Vikander had already starred in the sci-fi thriller Ex Machina, which really made her someone to keep an eye on, especially in the indie space. She teamed up with Matt Damon in Jason Bourne and was in pre-production production as the lead in the reboot for the action franchise Tomb Raider. And of course, she won the Academy Award for her incredible performance in The Danish Girl. Whether it has the three projects she has coming out this year, her marriage to fellow actor and former co-star Michael Fassbender, or time spent enjoying life's simplest pleasures, Vikander remains one of the busiest and most underrated gems in the industry. Continuing to showcase her range, she switches gears here for her latest film, the highly anticipated A24 movie, The Green Knight. Now, The Green Knight is based on the poem and Arthurian legend, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and this medieval fantasy follows Dev Patel as Sir Gawain, the nephew of King Arthur, as he goes on an epic quest in pursuit of the Green Knight. The film challenges many themes laced in lore, such as honor, nobility, questions of identity and worthiness to become a legend, and Vikander might have my favorite scene in the entire film. She plays dual roles here as Essel and the Lady, and the latter of which is uh, a role where she's treated to a show-stopping monologue that truthfully might have been my favorite sequence out of the entire film. And what made that monologue on the color green, as you'll see uh, when you watch the film, so special is that it was a monologue, a soliloquy that David Lowry wrote himself. It wasn't parts of the initial poem. And so Elysia and I talked about the fact that David was not only adapting, but he was expanding upon writing on something that has been studied by scholars and doctors uh, across history. And in case you didn't know, one of Elysia Vikander's favorite films is The Princess Bride, which got us talking about the magic of 80s fantasy films, the tangibility, the attention to detail, why we haven't really been able to recapture that particular magic until really with with David Lowry's The Green Knight. And obviously, if you've been listening to interviews with David Lowry, you'll know that that was a particular period of time that he wanted to draw upon uh, for influences for this particular film. And something that I didn't know going into this was that Alicia Vikander herself is a massive fantasy fan, and so we sort of talk about her relationship with the genre in general, stemming from her father growing up. And of course, you know me, big espionage lover, big James Bond fan. I had to bring up her amazing role in Guy Ritchie's incredibly underrated Man from Uncle film, and uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit towards the end, her memories of it. whether or not there might be a sequel, and, and so much more. We, I mean, hell, we even touch on Ex Machina at some point in this conversation. It was absolutely delightful. Uh, Alicia Vikander is not only an incredible talent, she is a genuine, kind, 
and uh, thoughtful person, and I really, really appreciated this conversation. And again, so thankful that I was able to talk to her about this incredible film, which is by far one of my favorites of the year. But before we dive into this thing, be sure to jump down in the comment section of wherever you're listening to this episode and let us know what your favorite Alicia Vikander film is. She has an incredible uh, resume of films, so there's, there's plenty to choose from across multiple genres, but we want to hear about that down in the comments section below. And again, be sure to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network so you don't miss out on more episodes of The Fourth Wall. I have one coming out next week with James Gunn, but we'll get to that at a later point. 824's The Green Knight hits theaters this Friday, July 30th, and I'm sure many of you are anticipating it, rightfully so. It lives up to the hype and then some. But enough from me, let's get into this thing. Let's talk about the greatness of The Green Knight with Alicia Vikander. Um, Alicia, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? Or afternoon. Morning with yeah. you are. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess that's true. It would be different depending. <laughs> I'm, I'm in LA, so uh, morning here. But um, anyways, yeah, I, I was super stoked about this because I think that for as incredible of a visual film as this is, and for as much as I love Arthurian lore, the thing that I kind of walked away from this film just being uh, in awe of was your performance, and specifically the uh, the section where you're talking about the color green. I think that was such a such an incredible monologue in and of itself. And I'm wondering if we could sort of um, start there with that uh, with that monologue and sort of like your your preparation for it. What what you know your first reaction was to reading that because I, I I do think it gets to the heart of the movie in a lot of ways yeah and it's interesting i mean so i'm I'm a huge fan of david and i mean i met him before you you know this script was sent to me by him and you know i i, I just knew that you know if he would ask me to come and work with him one day i would love to mm-hmm. and then he sent me the script and you know it was this he was like yeah there, there was this clear kind of mirror he didn't you know tell me what role to read for you know yeah you know and i come you know i'll come and join you for a few days and it's like it was this clear mirror aspect between these characters and and then he did ask me in the end if i wanted to play both and 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 then yes but then this poem kind of came in the second draft actually and then i just phoned him up and i was like wow i was like uh you know it's pretty incredible you know and it just doesn't it, now it's a daunting you know thing from the start to you know wanting to ad- adapt this you know poem that doctors and, and people have you know analyzed and <laughs> written essays about for years and I think he had done such an incredible job you know writing this script and then I was like and then you dare to match it up by showing what a great poet you are <laughs> too yeah. you know yeah uh, and which you know i also said you know it kind of just sums up what the film is in the most beautiful way yeah and that... i knew it, i knew it was a treat and i knew that i wanted to of course you know honor it uh, as much as i wanted to show how much i loved it <laughs> yeah wow that's um, that's incredible because I I had no idea that that was because I, I I'm very loosely familiar with the original poem so get, like getting to that section and, and whatnot I just assumed because of how you know well written it was and how well matched up with everything that that was uh, originally just part no, of the just poem. David pulling that off you know yeah. <laughs> 
that's that's <laughs> very know, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's all to him. You know, he's he's you know he's a brilliant visualist and filmmaker. But you know, he's he's incredibly talented and you know he's an intellectual. Um, mm-hmm. um, and that's also why I love you know in making this film because he dares to go there. I mean, we've seen, of course, that like these poems from back in the ages. I mean, there's the, they're the reasons we have all, you know, films ever made about the nights around the round table. But he kind of dares to embrace the fact that it's the 700-year-old, you know, poem and, and, and the kind of intellectual depth and the questioning, questioning about morality that's in there, but then dares to make it his own and make it then also feel like a big adventure movie and it has the horses and the creatures and the forests and mm-hmm. the talking animals and you know all those things and I, so uh, you know I I, I I I was so intrigued already when he described this project to me that he was he said you know and and and, he, and he's you know I think he told me I don't know you know that he had like you know I don't know how many times he had read the um the poem himself but I I bet it was a lot of times yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think what you what you just said there about it kind of, you know, putting a new spin on on, you know, a centuries old story such as this is is how it almost functions as this um, this deconstruction or like reflection on like legend, nobility, uh, celebrity to an extent. Now, I'm kind of curious how you yourself view that idea. Um. Oh. It's interesting, you know. One thing that happened when I did that scene, when Essel says to go and like, why greatness? Why, 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 why is not why is goodness not enough? You know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know because it is a coming of age story, and I think you know I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's also just one thing of growing up. You know, I remember when I was twenty. You know, I just. Maybe I, I was a bit blind. I had a bit hard to understand. Why wouldn't you want everything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, yeah. And 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 which I now look back and I admire. It's also a, na- a naive and but also romantic view of seeing the world. You know, yeah. and myself and what I wanted to do. And it took me on a on a, on on a whirlwind of a journey and and life. But I also learned. You know, I I, I know I, I think I was judgmental sometimes. Or I was. There was people when I could say, but why would you not want all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember, you know, how these people could say, like, you wait, you know, it's not a, it's not like that, you know, it's not that you don't, you know, it's just another thing. And now I find myself in my garden, like potting around and like, you know, mm-hmm. cooking food, <laughs> like doing other things in life. And I'm like, this makes me so happy, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's not, you know, and it's it's just about you know, and and then I I totally understand that some people earlier in my life they were probably more content than I was, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, and 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 that is one thing you know that I think and that kind of you know popped up in my head whilst I was making it and I was like wow this young woman Ethel she's pretty impressive, I mean she's clearly you know. I don't know if anyone would put her, you know, just because she's low class, but she's definitely not simple. I mean, she's lived enough to know some of the most profound truths in the film. 
Yeah, I, I think that's what I really liked about her because, I mean, we we get like the two instances, right? We get we get you as Essel, and then we get you as the, as the lady later on. But there is sort of an interesting um, interconnectivity between the two of them, and it's like for because this is this is primarily you know um, uh, Gawain's journey. You know, Dev is on the screen for most of the time, but I think the moments that you get stand out the most because of just like how uh, integral they are to. Gawain's development as as a character you know in both instances yeah and that thing of like you know of course I didn't have to think about so much the resemblance of it because of course I'm playing both of them but yeah but you know it's that thing when I did it and also seeing Dev's you know the different reactions that he clearly had of course when he played with the lady and and that mm -hmm. thing of when the grass is always greener on the other side you know you kind of forget or you choose to forget that something that was right in front of you, next yeah. to you, at home, was yeah. what you said you seeked for, but never really noticed, you know? Yeah, yeah. So is that is that sort of how you view their, their uh, interconnectivity, you would say? Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, that's, I think, quite, you know, not a very hidden one. I think it's, you know... Right, right. Yeah, I think it's definitely, definitely there just because it's you know i remember it's this moment when he sees the lady the first time and it's like you know is it does he choose to not see the resembler or he can't but it's like a little mini mini double take when he sees her the first time you know mm -hmm. uh which is you know um no i think i think it just you know with all these poems or stories that have lost throughout the ages I would say there's a lot of you know with fairy tales it's it's these big questions and and uh, you know about life and morality and and that mirror image was just another one of the layers that I think David put into his film that makes you be able to read or see things throughout the film in your your own different way you know mm -hmm. reading yeah. whatever feels right yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I guess sort of just on that topic of like these these big mythic tales and and you know poems of of old and stuff like that. Do do you like how um how much of a fan of that particular genre were you? Because I know David was was big like Arthurian lore guy, um, and that's sort of what what drew drew him into this this project. But was that necessarily the case for you? Uh, I grew up with a dad who's a huge sci fi and fantasy fan. Oh, okay, uh, so I did grow up with. Tolkien about age 10 <laughs> so, okay, uh, yeah. not the film but the books so you know so, so yes and and I loved it you know and he was the one who kind of gave me tips of, you know but but so so yes I, I I've always loved that kind of I mean it's hard to say I mean it's, yeah the magical wor world the escapism mm. the fantasies um I think you know I read books a lot when I was a kid and it was probably even before movies that thing of like all the you know magical worlds that I created in my head which I love to escape to mm, yeah so I, I'm, I'm kind of curious because this film referenced a lot of like that particular kind of movie that came out in the 80s and I think there is it's important to sort of distinguish you know those kind of films from other fantasy films because they did have this unique sort of like magic and feel to them 
Um, and I, I'm curious for you because I, I I also read that you're you're a big fan of the Princess Bride. Uh, he has a, a special place <laughs> yeah. in your heart and stuff. So I I'm kind of curious for you as someone who who grew up with those movies, who's who is a fan of this genre, uh, especially. What do you think was so? What do you think made the films of that era of the '80s uh, in this particular genre uh, so so special? I guess when you compare it to other eras. I think it's you know I think it's just about embracing it, mm. you know. I think it's about you know not trying to you know. Uh, I think be as open as a as you know. So I, I guess now when I just said it myself, you know, like when I was a kid, it's like I have such vivid memories of, like you know, like you know, the 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 magic of the world that I created in my own head were like you know they were endless i dreamt about them and you know thought mm-hmm. about these characters and i think you know you kind of have to have almost a child's kind of openness to the the magic itself for for it to work and i think with the best if it's you know if it's sci-fi fantasies or even you know like a universe like star wars you know it's like yeah. then or harry potter why harry potter worked you know and i grew up with those books too was because it's down to detail like it's not, it doesn't take the easy way out. You know, everything needs to be there. And that is also something I really got impressed by, you know, with David, how yeah. all the departments, you know, it doesn't have a huge budget, but he he knew he was going to make something that he can't help that is something with a smaller budget like this was, is going to stand next to, you know, <laughs> other fantasy movies, which have budgets that are colossal in, in comparison. You know, or when I did Ex Machina, it's the same thing. It didn't have any money, but it, people are going to put it next to other sci-fi movies and see, yeah. but it needs to look right. But if you do it so particular down to detail that, you know, everything is done with precision and you buy the whole world and everything that is in it, then I think it feels complete and you, you know, you dare to believe in, in the fantasy. I don't know, maybe. No, I, I think that's I, no, I, 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 I think that's an incredibly uh, well-made point because that is those movies do have that attention to detail that you don't necessarily uh, see. It, it, I mean, I think there's also something to be said about the practicality. Right. And, and David certainly does that with this movie. I mean, I the, the amount of I mean, even someone like the Green Knight who, you know, in another film probably would have been a CGI monster or something like that. The the, the fact that it is, yeah. you know this prosthetic suit and everything like that is just is is incredible and there is that that tangibility i think there is something uh very true to what you were saying about you you can feel it right it's easy to immerse yourself into the world because of that attention to detail yeah and it's interesting you say that with cgi too or you know i'm thinking even yeah what he did i mean i saw you know with makeup was incredible green knight and 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 then it's also part of you know giving the actors getting to step into that world as well and 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 you know react to it for mm-hmm. real and then you know the same thing with you know making baby yoda too why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know it's like you know or, or even x-mac and i mean why they won the oscar was because i was almost a prosthetic it was if you know if you see what they actually did it was the least possible that they could do with cgi you know yeah. that was their mission you know um, and that brings a certain organic feel to it that I think us humans respond to. You know, it feels real, even if it's crafted with technology as well. You know, it, it, it's something that really feels like it's not cheaply done or the, it's not the, not cheap, but not the easy way 
out, you know? There's a lot yeah. of a lot of our yeah. history that has gone into it. No, for sure. I, and I'm really glad you brought up the the point about Ex Machina because that is that's one of those Oscars that I always go back to and I'm like, I don't think people understand how deserved that <laughs> like that 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 uh the visual no, effects uh, Oscar that was. That night yeah. that was when my tear, tears came. That's for real. Oh, I mean yeah. it was a very surreal night for me in general. But I stood in the green room and they won and then I got super touched because yeah. I was like, There's no one here that deserves that more than them. It was so impressive what they yeah. did. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I agree. Um, so kind of shifting away from from Green Knight here a little bit as we as we start to wrap up here. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite films of yours and what, one of the fun films that I find to be one of the most uh, underrated uh, within like the past 10 years or so uh, is Guy Ritchie's Man from Uncle. And I, I'm always saddened oh. that it, it never ignited a franchise and, uh, you know, that it, it never, I guess, caught on the way that it, it did. But there is like a cult following for it. And so I'm just I'm kind of curious if you could talk a little bit about maybe just your experience experience making that movie like why you think it largely fell flew under the radar and um you know if there is more there to sort of uh explore if if sequels could happen you know yeah i mean it's a lot of years have you know have now passed and who knows yeah. i mean it was it was i think it, i think partly you know we live in a world where ips are so you know have a lot of meaning and of course man from uncle for most people under a certain age you know didn't know what that was kind of including me i think i'd read it or seen it mm-hmm. <laughs> and i myself mm-hmm. go back and look at it uh but i think it was a brilliant idea because i i too think i love that world maybe it's also you know my my parents were young in the early 60s like i grew up romanticizing i mean i'm i i sue a pair of flower power pants when i was like 10 and make like flowers in my hair and like, you know yeah, but that yeah. was of course a bit later 60s but you know it's that kind of era especially and i mean i mean the, the, what what guy together with you know um uh, i mean the costumes are pretty spectacular and it's what i like is of course we have you know bond but bond has also over the years kind of transitioned to another genre than maybe in the beginning and i kind mm-hmm. of love that it kind of brought up this more kind of poppy you know cheeky fun um 60s vibe that you saw in a lot of films back then you know and it kind of you know it was it, it dared to go all the way and embrace that and embrace that it is a bit over the top but you know um, um yeah i mean I, I i would i would have loved to make another one it was it was some of the most fun i've had shooting yeah film. yeah and and yeah. everyone i've and everyone i've talked to who who has worked with with guy Ritchie has just said that he is such just this this incredible presence on set and this this unbelievably you know similar to david someone who's just a visionary who has like the preci- the precise like look and feel of the movie in his head while he's shooting it so I, I have to imagine that collaboration was a lot of fun too yeah no he came to set and you know said exactly what he you know imagined and uh no i think it was, it was just an easy easy fun shoot which is not very often on those big films you know yeah um but um yeah no i'm i it seems like i heard someone told me at the studio that you know, it's been one of the, those films that apparently have been downloaded a lot, you know, and people have yeah. seen it at home. Uh, so, you know, if, if that, that's all you care about. If, if people haven't seen it and enjoyed it and if people have, you know, if, if it took them five years, seven years to see it, then that's fine as long as they had a good time. 
Yeah, for sure. It, it is definitely one of those ones that is that is caught on. I, I more people seem to to find it, I, I guess, over the years, which is which is encouraging to, I, I guess, you know, someone like me who's a fan of that and just in seeing people discover it and whatnot. Um, but I uh, but listen, Alicia, I, I am out of time, but I, I really thank you so much for for your time. And um, I absolutely loved The Green Knight. It is um, it's a film I have been thinking about for a long time and will probably, uh, you know, continue to think about. So um yeah. That's cool. Thank you so much. Take care. Yeah, for sure. Somebody See do. you. Meet you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank Bye. you. Thank you.